Welcome to the Vine Youth Podcast from Long Island Abundant Life Church. In this first podcast, we start off our new series, Untouchables, on hard topics and deal with how Jesus treats insiders and outsiders. So um, this is the introduction that wasn't for last time because we took so long to get started and um, by the time we actually did everything, it was only like eight or ten minutes. So we're starting a series, Untouchables, and we're going to be dealing with uh, a bunch of difficult topics. And uh, I want to go over something quick, and then I I just want to have kind of a little discussion with you. Um, There's a question already. Yes. What do you mean by untouchable? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Okay. Um, As I said before, there's kind of two reasons that we call, call it untouchables. That first of all, these are topics that usually we don't talk about in church, and they're maybe a little more difficult, and they don't get talked about very openly in church because of like shame or fear or whatever it is. I I really am like about one second from sending you to be have some alone time. Okay. okay? That's okay. Just, I've been alone for a very long time. Okay. Okay. So. Um, as we are going through this, we're going to be dealing with a lot of those topics. And um, the second thing that we're talking about is that often these people um, that deal with these issues, we don't know how to deal with them. Whether it's a whole lot of different things. And um, some of these things are like, I don't know, like American issues. Like in America, we don't like to talk about them. Some of them are even more specifically Chinese. You, you don't talk about them. Like I know, for example, something that never gets, seems like it gets talked about is like mental disorders and stuff like that. Like all kinds of different stuff. Eating disorders. Uh, you just don't talk about that stuff. Uh, and, and we want to talk about those things. And remember the goal that we're trying to do with this is we're trying to have a biblical worldview. That when we look at something, when I ask you, what do you think about X, whatever it is, um, that you don't just like come back with, I think this, but you say, the Bible says this about it. And if you disagree with it, you need to, to learn to grapple with that, to work through it. Because if we're going to claim the name of Jesus, we're going to claim that God has revealed himself to us. We need to know what the Bible says about these difficult and important issues, and not just like have this knee-jerk reaction. Because we don't really have a Christian worldview, if that's the case. We have like a a Greg worldview, or a Kevin worldview, or a Hannah worldview. We just have like a whatever we happen to think at the time worldview. So um, that's the goal in doing this. But today I want to, we're going to read like a whole bunch of scripture. And I want to talk about a particular interaction that Jesus had with someone who would be considered an untouchable. And then someone, an interaction that she had, he had with someone who was not, who would be considered to be like a, a really good person. We're actually going to take the first one, that second one, first. So in John chapter 3, you're going to be familiar with this, um, probably. It's a, it's a pretty common story. Maybe not know all of it, but we're going to read this. This is um, the, it's got the famous John 3.16 passage in it, but this is Jesus' uh, conversation with Nicodemus. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. For if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, is Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works are carried out in God. Okay, so Nicodemus comes to him and he's confused, basically. Now we're going to look at uh, the next chapter. There's like a little, short little interlude here about John the Baptist and Jesus and stuff. And then, then we're going to chapter 4. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did... Do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I that I will give him I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one which you have now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Okay, so, um, I want to talk about the, yeah, um, I want to talk about kind of what's going on here. And uh, if we have volunteers, like a, a guy from this side of the room and a girl from this side of the room, that would be really great. Or a man or a woman. You would like to be the man? She volunteers at tribute. Okay. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. Come on. I need a guy and a girl. A man and a woman. You're just going to read. Okay. I'll read. Hey, come, get back here. No, no, no. You don't need to. You just read what's up there. Oh, okay. So, uh, you're, no, I, I need you to come up here. Though. You're going to be Nicodemus. What? You have Paramount. You. Um, you're going to be Nicodemus, and you're going to be the Samaritan woman. Okay? Oh, isn't that nice? So try. Well, I know it's kind of weird to like look at that and like try and project that. But <laughs> yeah. You have to say it loud enough, okay? So um, this is basically just kind of a rephrasing of these two passages, and I want you to compare and contrast because when the the writers of the Bible, in this case John. He puts together his book. He has a purpose. It's not just like, I'm now going to write down everything that Jesus ever did. Because actually, in fact, um, John, at the end of his book, he says, this is not even hardly any of it. If I were to write down all that Jesus said and did, it would fill all the books in like the entire world. And uh, so he chooses what stories he puts in. He chooses where he puts them for a reason. And I think here in particular, he is trying to do a contrast here. Can you please sit down? I don't think you can handle this. Okay. Um, 
So we're gonna, I'm going to put this up here, and uh, you're going to be Nicodemus, and you're going to be Samaritan woman, okay? So uh, we'll start with Nicodemus. I am a man. I am a woman. Yeah, there we go. Go ahead. Say, I am a man. I am a Pharisee part of the very powerful ruling elite of the Israel. That Israel? Sorry. Has been my... Time interpreting the holy law of Moses to determine what is or is not uh, sin. I determine what makes a man or a woman righteous in the eyes of God. I am a Samaritan and I have no power. You Pharisees ruled against my people and me long ago. You determined that many of my tribe had married outside of the Hebrew line, that we were unfit. You called us mongrel dogs and condemned us as sinners. You destroyed my future by condemning the mistakes of my people's past. I am an insider. I am part of God's chosen people. I am an outsider and no longer am considered part of God's chosen people. I am a leader among my peers. People look to me with great respect. They bow in my presence and hold me. Hold me. Uh Oh, hold me in (laughs) reverence. They point at me and tell their children of my importance. I am not a leader at all, and people have no respect for me. When I walk by, they do not honor me. They gossip about me behind my back. They call me names that trash my reputation. They point at me as well and talk to their children, but they want their children never to be like me. I have a name. It is Nicodemus. It is a name known far and wide. If you drop my name in certain circles, people will be impressed. Oh, I have a name, but the author of this story did not seem eager enough to use it. So I will forever be known as the woman at the well. I hate being known in such a generic way, but I have to admit it is better than some of the names I have been called. Names like prostitute or trap. These are not the names that I want to remember me by. I just wish that John had used my name. It would have made my life easier. I live in Jerusalem and spend my time in the holiest of places, the temple. This is the place where God dwells and all good Jews come from, come for sacrifice and blessing. I live where God lives. I live in Samaria in a parched piece of ground far away from Jerusalem. The only thing that makes my town famous is a well that was dug long ago by our forefather Jacob. Samaria is a place despised by Jews and avoided at all costs. I came to see Jesus in the middle of the night. I did not want others to see, see me come to him. I came out to the well in the middle of the day when it was the hottest because I did not want others to see me or to talk with me. <laughs> it goes on for a while longer, guys. Longer. Like, I recognized Jesus immediately. I called him Rabbi or Teacher, and I said that I knew he was a holy person sent by God. I had seen Jesus in the streets and had listened to his teachings, and my heart was stirred by his words. Even though my fellow Pharisees were jealous of him and were concerned by his teachings, I thought he was very wise. I did not recognize Jesus. In fact, I thought he was a very strange man with very little common sense. Didn't he know that Jews don't talk with Samaritans? Didn't he know that Jewish men don't talk to women in public? This man was so foolish he came to a well, nothing used as a dipper. 
What wise man would sit in the hot sun next to a well without a dipper? When I first saw him, I thought he was a few bananas shy of a full bunch. Mm, bananas. <laughs> I came asking Jesus a favor. I wanted him to explain things, some of the things that he had been telling the crowds and to expound um, upon the signs that were so much a part of his mystery. This ministry. I was confused and wanted to bear more. Hear more. I came seeking nothing from oh. Jesus for science. In fact, I was angry when he first started speaking. He was the one who began the conversation and he was the one asking for a favor of me. I came in science and wanted to keep it that way. When he answered, he talked in metaphors. He talked about being born again and about living water and about the spirit. I listened but was very confused. When he answered me, he talked in metaphors. He talked about living water and the spirit. I listened but was very confused. Hang in there, guys. You can do it. And spiritual ideas, but he said things that I could not understand. I could, I could tell they were important to him, and that he was intent on my understanding them, on my understanding them. But the more he talked about, the more I was confused. I am an unknown woman. I have spent no time in my entire life studying anything about religion. But he said things that I could not understand. I could tell they were important to him, and that he was intent on my understanding them. But the more he talked, the more I was confused. When Jesus saw that I was confused, he seemed to be able to look right, right inside of me and ask a question that shook my very soul. Are you not a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? When Jesus saw that I was confused, he seemed to look right inside of me, and he told me something that shook my very soul. Go, call your husband and come here. I answered, I have no husband. And he said, you are right, for I have five husbands. It was then I felt insulted and my heart and mind shut down. It was then that I felt this man was special and my heart and mind opened to his words. Which one's uh, Together. Jesus kept talking to me. He talked about God and the Son of Man as if he knew them intimately. He talked about God's universal love and how God loved the entire world, not just a few children people. He talked about the Son of Man who would be the Messiah and that whoever believed in Him would not perish. He said that religion is not about judgment and condemnation, but about love and grace. The words touched my heart and made me tremble. Second to last slide. Jesus, Jesus spoke about God's special care for humankind, but I could not accept His testimony and was unable to declare that he was the Messiah. Jesus spoke about God's special plan for all mankind, and I was able to accept his testimony and was able to declare that he was the Messiah. I left in darkness. I left in the light of day. I told no one about my visit because I was so confused and embarrassed. I told everyone because I was so excited, and when I told my people, they wanted to believe as well. Thank you. Yeah, I know that was long, but I read two chapters right before that. It's okay. But here's the thing. I, I know it's long, but there is a lot in there because there's a lot going on here. As I said, I do believe that John put these two stories together for a purpose. 
And there are two different kinds of people here, okay? And um, you know, this is really hard. Sometimes the Gospels challenge us. Sometimes the things Jesus says challenge us. And we're, we're very aware of it. Like when he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. But this is a challenge that's very different. This is a challenge that's very different, okay? Like, when he presents these two people, I wanted to bring out what's going on here, because, you know, sometimes, I understand if you're not used to reading the Bible, the way things are phrased, the way things are presented, a little difficult. But this is what I think John was trying to do, is to draw these comparisons. And when you put them side by side, it's a little more obvious. So, we have here a man who's religious, who asks Jesus questions because he's important, he wants to know more. He's just really confused by Jesus. And then he just kind of leaves and we don't hear anything more about it. In fact, it doesn't really say that much more about what happened to Nicodemus. Then we have this woman at the well who isn't even named and referred to this thing about the husbands here. uh, When it says the sixth hour in Jewish time, the first hour started at 6 a.m. So when you're at the sixth hour... You're going to be at like noon. It's really, really hot out. No one goes out at that time to draw water, except for people who don't want to be seen by other people, who don't want to be talked to, as this talked about. And why is that? Because, you know, she has five husbands, really. It's kind of code word for prostitute or tramp or whore, like, you know, whatever it was in there. Um, like, this is, this is really uh, not a woman who wants to talk to people because those interactions usually don't go well. But I want you to think about for a minute who really understand, understood what Jesus was saying and who did not. Okay? So we have this woman, the untouchable, the person no one wants to talk to. She just stays away from everyone else because of all that has happened in her life. We don't know even what has driven her to this kind of life. That she has, whatever it is that she did, that she has five husbands. Okay? That... We don't know what got her there, but we know that she is an outcast because of who she is, what she's done. And who is it that accepts Jesus' message? And this is why I say this is challenging. And I, I said this uh, a couple of weeks ago when I did a short introduction, but I really want to hit it home a little harder this week, is that I want you to really think about which one of these two people you would be. When it comes down to it, I know you guys aren't like religious teachers, okay? but um, are you known... As religious, I mean, you've grown up in church most of you your whole lives. Maybe not all of you, but most of you have. You've grown up in church your whole lives. You're known for being religious. Maybe you're a leader in like something in your school or whatever. Some of you have made it a practice of being better than everyone else at everything in your life that is possible. Okay, this is this is like Nicodemus to a T, and he goes to Jesus, and and he just does not even hear what Jesus is saying. He doesn't get any of it. And he, he doesn't really ask that many questions. You know, he's like, I'm confused. How can I go back in my mother's womb? But you don't get a lot of interchange here. He goes to Jesus under cover of night because he doesn't want anyone to see him talking to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one that talks to the drunk, drunk people and the outcasts. And he doesn't even want to be seen with someone who talks to those kind of people. That's how bad it is for him. And so I ask you... Which one are you? Are you the religious person who doesn't want to talk to those people? Won't even talk to or be around people who is known for talking to those people? Are you the one who hears Jesus' message about forgiveness and you're like, what do I really need to be forgiven of? Maybe you're even here today and you 
have grown up in church and you're just still kind of confused because you're like, I don't even really know what to ask God forgiveness for when it comes to the end of the day. I know the Bible says that I should confess and He's faithful and just to forgive me, but I don't even really understand what God needs to forgive me for. You are totally Nicodemus. And this is my fear, is that this group, this church, so much of what goes on in, in church, in Christianity, in America, is this crap. Okay? Is that we are Nicodemus, we are the Pharisees. And I want you to go home, and I want you to read what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees. Just look up Pharisees in the back of your Bible, and start to read the things that Jesus says to him. He says... You guys are whitewashed tombs. That you are like a grave with someone rotting in it and you painted it nicely. Okay? He says, you're a brood of vipers. That you are poisonous snakes. That whatever comes out of your mouth is poison. And you stand here and you want others to follow you and to say, hey, look, look, this person's so good. Let's follow them. And I want you to get that that's not the point of what Jesus says. It's not to say, and, I know, and this is why I'm saying like this is not just like this church, it's not just this group, it's like so much because you hear so many times, why don't you just let your light shine and, and everyone will become a Christian because they'll see how good you are. And it says, yes, Matthew does say, let your light shine before all men that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But he does not say, make everyone think how great you are. Because you are like this perfect person. Okay? That's not what this is about. In, in my deepest, deepest concern in all of this is that when I read this stuff, like we like to read the New Testament letters and stuff like that, we don't like to read the Gospels. We don't like to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why is that? Because we don't, when we really stop to look at what Jesus says and we like empty our mind of all of this preconceived whatever that we've heard these verses our whole life, like for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, like we latch onto those verses and we don't see anything else that Jesus says because what He says is really, really difficult. He says things that, like, if I came up here and like, or I didn't know you, or like, you just heard there was this guy walking around town and he was preaching about God and you heard him say that stuff, you would be like, this guy is nuts. Okay? Why? Because, I, because we're so much like the Pharisees. And I, I don't know how to make this get to your heart, but, but that really, I want you to just take some time and read the Gospels. Because I want you to understand that, that. Because I recognize it in myself, and it scares the crap out of me. Because you read these Gospels, and you see what He says to that. You see what those people are like. And you see the similarities between yourself and, that, and them, and you see how Jesus treats those people, it should scare you. Okay? And my fear is that we come together and we play church, we play religion, and we're all happy, and we're all great, and when someone is truly in need, when we see someone truly in need of the gospel, who is hurting, who is broken, who is addicted to drugs, who is a prostitute, who is whatever... We don't go to those people. In fact, we don't even want them in our church. We don't want to have a relationship with them. We stay away from them. Because we're scared of them. Okay? It's really, truly concerns me. And that's part of why we're doing 
this series. And I don't want to pull back and just like start talking about this quite yet, but I really want you to get that, yeah, these are difficult issues, but for example, if we talk, when we talk about homosexuality, I don't want you to start thinking politics. I don't care if you're like a libertarian, I don't care if you're a communist, like, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat, I don't freaking care because Jesus was not any of those, okay? He was nothing. He came and he did not talk about politics. And I don't want it to devolve into that. I want you to look at it and say, I do not treat these people the way that I should. I do not treat them as Jesus would treat them. Maybe in that particular issue. I choose that one because it is so politically charged right now. But I'm just saying, when we talk about this stuff, I don't want you immediately to go into like, hmm, that's interesting. And that's what I think the danger is about talking about this Christian worldview stuff, that it all gets stuck in here. Okay? It all gets stuck in that first part. Like, we don't talk about this in church, so let's talk about it and become educated and see what the Bible says. So, that, so when someone asks you, you can give an answer. Yes, that is great. But if it never gets to here, you guys are doomed. Okay, Really, truly doomed. Because because that is absolutely the Pharisees. It's all in the head. It's all in the actions that everyone can see. It's all in the stuff that makes them look good. But it's not in the heart. And I, I just wish that we spent so much more time studying who Jesus was, understanding who Jesus was. And in so frustrated, I can't even speak. In um, acting like Jesus. I mean, like we make such this, a great show about saying, yeah, like Christians, we're, we follow after Jesus, we try to imitate Jesus, but we really don't. We do it in the things that we want to do it in. We do it in the things that are comfortable for us, that end up with us being happy and successful and, and having a good life. But, you know, I, when I was praying earlier, I, I was thinking of this verse, because I think this is such an ignored verse that, you know, in Timothy, Paul writes and he says, all of you who desire to live godly lives in Jesus will be persecuted. I think this should be a scary verse to us, okay? Because how many of you, if I were to just come up here in no context and say, hey, how, how many of you feel persecuted for your faith? I don't think any of you would say, would raise your hand to that, okay? And you'd be like, we live in a, in a land with freedom, so we don't get persecuted, okay? That's not the point. You could live in the freest land you wanted, but what he's saying there is that you, if you know the message of Jesus... It is always controversial. Jesus said, because they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The world hated me, they will hate you. And the reason that they don't hate us is because we keep our mouths shut. We don't share. We say, I have joy, so I'm just going to shut it up. And Matthew talks about that. He says, it's like having a light and putting it under a basket. That's so dumb. It's dark in this room. I'm going to turn on the light, then I'm going to put something on top of the light and stumble into the wall. Like, it's so incredibly dumb, but that's what we do with our lives. And that's why I say, this, this is so important, and I don't want it to just stay in your heads. I don't want it to stay in this place where you know the right answer now. Maybe you didn't before, now you know the right answer. That's great. I do want you to know the right answer. But I don't want it to stop at the right answer. Learn to live like Jesus. And that means going out and, and 
reaching people and going to these people, this lady that no one would talk to. And he's just talking to her. He's talking freely. Why? Because he loves her. He loves her in the way that those five men never loved her. In the way that her family did not love her. He reaches out to her and he shares what happened. What happens to her? She goes out and says, look, I think this man is the Savior. And then all these people come to Jesus. Who are these people? Samaritans. These are like like the worst people ever to Jews. Like They're so mistreated. And they come and they say, before we just trusted you, but now we've seen, we know, we've experienced His love, what He has done. We've seen Him. And we think that He is the Savior of the world. Okay? And I ask you, how many of you have felt that way? Have, have felt transformed by Jesus? And how many of you have fought against being transformed by Jesus? You know, there's this term that's used uh, of, of Paul when he's still Saul. Okay? He's persecuting the church. And he says, Saul, how long will you kick against the goads? Which is a really weird phrase that we don't really get. But that's um, like the thing that they would use to, to poke the oxen to get them to move is a pointy stick. And then when you kick against it, it make you bleed and like all this stuff. And it's really dumb to kick against the goats, right? Okay, I think that most of us have done that at some time in our lives, and that we are doing that. That we say, yes, I believe in Jesus because I grew up in church or because my parents do or, you know, what? I don't know. Because I made it my own. But it's just like when it comes to truly changing who we are in our lives, to truly radically changing and saying, yes, Jesus has given me joy. Yes, he has transformed me. We're kicking. Again, we're, we're slamming on the brakes. We say, let's be reasonable here. I'm only going to go so far. Because if I go that far, then, then I know that people will think I'm a bigot or they'll think that I don't like them or they'll think that I'm dumb, or whatever. But we, we stop it. We put it on the brakes. And we wonder why we don't feel joy. Why we don't seem transformed by Jesus. Because we don't let Him transform us. And, and, and I don't come, and I don't ever want to come, and give you guys a guilt trip. But I, I always get concerned, like... There's some people who believe that you, you have to work for salvation. Okay, that, then you have this question of like, well, most people just think, well, I think I'm good enough and I'm going to get into heaven. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And that's kind of comforting. But what we believe is that if you, are, uh, if you have salvation, if you are known by God, you will change and it will produce fruit. Okay? And that's much scarier to believe. Why? Because I think if you really take the time and look at your life and you don't see fruit, you need to start asking some difficult, really scary questions. Okay? So I'm challenging you guys. Look at your lives. Do you see the transformation of Jesus? And if you do not, you need to start asking some really difficult questions. Like, do I know Jesus? Do I say, yes, I am a Christian? Or is Jesus truly the Lord of my life? Do I look at the things the way that Jesus looks at them? Do I look at people the way that Jesus looks at them? Or do I just do my own thing? Is my viewpoint typically American? Or typically Chinese American? Or typically whatever it is that you are? 
do you just look at things that way because that's how you always have, that's how you grew up, or because that's how Jesus looks at them? Okay? Um, I've been rambling for a long time. I recognize that. But I, I want you guys to go home. I want you to think about this because when we do this, it really changes so much. And I think that, I know, because I grew up, I grew up in church. And I was not a Christian. And I was the guy in high school, when I came to know Jesus, the people in my church, I kind of thought I was weird, I think. Because I realized, I know what it's like, because I grew up around this all the time, to really see very few people transformed by Jesus. That maybe you've grown up with so many people but it's just been this thing. But you've seen, and I know because I know this church, I've been here a couple of years now, two and a half years. There's just not so many people that you see that, you know, they came from something truly difficult, like prostitution, drug addiction, you know, whatever it is. We see so little, like, drastic change, and we start to believe that Jesus does not change. But let me tell you, He does. And when we start to believe that He doesn't, we start to be comfortable in our lives. And Jesus came to save us from our comfort. He came to say, I have a mission, I have a kingdom, and everyone in this world looks at this kingdom and says it's backwards and upside down. And that's the challenge of doing a series like this. You know, I said last week, or two weeks ago, two weeks ago, that um, I fully believe that at some point in probably every lesson, one of you will be really mad at me for something that I say. And I'm willing to accept that because I want you to think about stuff. Because the way that Jesus looks at people, the way Jesus treats people, sometimes is very uncomfortable for our like middle-class, comfortable lives. And God save us from pathetic lives of comfort. I mean, like... It just seems like so many people, and I'm just going to challenge you guys, so many of you, that's what you're looking for. And and the thing, let me just tell you, because this is, I was thinking about this just this week, and it was just tearing me apart. That, um, you know, we have people in youth group, and I'm like, wow, this, you know, they're really on fire for Jesus or whatever. Like, they really care. They're worshiping great. And, and then they go off to college, and that's when it always happens. And they, they drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, however you want to say it. But no, I'm so serious. Like, like, they're so on fire for Jesus. And they go to college, and all of a sudden their life becomes about getting a good job and money and all that stupid crap. And it just tears me up because it's like they're, you're, they're, you're, you're here in youth group and, and you really want to do something for Jesus. And then all of a sudden you hit this point in your life where you're just like, okay, I'm past all that now. I'm going to be sensible about my life. Okay? Jesus never calls us to be sensible about our lives. He says, you're going to die every single day if you follow me. Every single day. Okay? That's why I say it tears me up because I see so many people do that, whether it's college or after college. There's some time where they just stop really caring and their life becomes about being their life. And let me tell you, if you're going to follow Jesus, your life is not your life anymore. Okay? 
Your life is not yours anymore. And I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I am saying this, hopefully, to scare you. Because if you think you can come to Jesus and keep your life, if you think you can come to Jesus and have nothing as a goal in your life except for to be comfortable, then you are wrong. I'm just telling you straight out. You're totally and completely wrong. And you are not reading the Bible. You're not reading anything that Jesus said if you think that that's what it's about. And so I just want to challenge you to go home and please think about it. And to not wake up the next day and be like, yeah, I thought about it. The end. Okay? Like this changes everything. And when we talk about this stuff, I want it to change everything. I want you to say, I never thought about that before. I never felt that way before. And Jesus is changing me to be more like Him. To love people like Him. Okay? So, um, why don't you take just a couple minutes to think about that. Um, And I have a a little short, quick video about um, that passage we read in John 4. I just want to show it just so we can get kind of some of the effects of it again, to see how Jesus treats a person that no one wants. The person that we avoid, that we don't even want to look at or talk to. How Jesus treats that person. Okay, so take a couple minutes while I queue up the video and get it ready.